This is the Four Seasons of Epic Fantasy, Season 1, Episode 9, Realism in Fantasy. Today's episode, let's discuss realism in fantasy and the levels of realism that we can put into fantasy. Which sounds like an oxymoron. I know, it does. <laughs> so, I mean, if we're, like, we can talk about hard magic, soft magic. We can talk about how technical you want to be with weapons and combat systems. And, oh, if this person's using a sword and this person is using a pole arm, you know, how is that battle going to play out? Or if pole you, arm's going to win. You know, or, or, yeah, you, you, can, you can talk about that. You can talk about... Um, You're too quiet, Thomas. <laughs> oh, snap. So, I can hear myself. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> You're dead. <laughs> so, Jeremy, why don't you start us off? On what? Uh, talking about your book. Talking about uh, realism, realism in fantasy. fantasy. What what things do you, you... And you don't need to have your entire book be absolutely filled, jam-packed with, with realism, but is there any specific things in your fantasy book that you did research over or that you just put a little bit of extra realism or into? Or that you didn't. Right. Both. I'm uh, talking, I mean, everything can be from economics, weather systems, You know what's weird ecology. is uh, possibly my most realistic thing, and anybody who's read it might argue for or against it, is how my characters react to situations. Oh, mm. that's actually a great one. That's a great topic. I actually, in other podcasts, have said I like to watch people as part of my research <laughs> and see how people respond to different questions and different things that they do. Uh, and... I'm, I'm hoping that that's what comes across, is these characters are pretty real to me when I'm writing the books, and they're going to react pretty realistic, but how people might react, how I might have seen someone on a street react, or something like that. Um, they'll react to their personalities. They, I, that was comments that Sheila was giving, uh, mm -hmm. was she was saying, your characters are really true to their personalities. Uh, I was like, and they're cool. not just all like Thanks. Jeremy doing hand puppets. They're, no. they're not just you and the way you would react. Right. Although one of them is, but I'm not going to tell you. I've told you that <laughs> enough already. I, I know which one that is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's, that's that's a really good one. So, um, for example, Jeremy, if your characters got in a very very scary battle scene, um, how would you have your characters react in a realistic way that would be true to them? Would you be able to give us an example? I know what some of them would react. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, what's her name? Main character, uh -huh. uh, Nat. She would uh, turn around and run the other way. <laughs> uh -huh. She would if there's a way to get away. She would probably find... Rhea would safety. be tempted to fight. <laughs> yes, she's, she's the opposite. She just might of her, you know, if Natty didn't, like, drag her away. <laughs> yeah. That, that's that's probably what would happen. Um, and you'll find that, yeah, that's... And I have other characters in the stories that do things like that. That I hope that they're real to their characters, to, their, to who they are. Um, so that's, that's the realism that you're adding to your fantasy. I love that. That's actually probably the most important yeah. one that I can think of. That's... that's what about what about you, Leah? What what's like one big element that you add to your fantasy that's the realism aspect? You know, like I said, it could be everything. Could be dialogue and languages and different diomes. Um, um, 
so I, I don't know. I always feel that fantasy is so, like, all writing in general is so based in reality in a way. Because, I mean, I'm just going to, I mean, not talking about my book at all. When I was a kid, my mom used to think that I just always had my head in the clouds because I always had my nose in a book and I was always writing stories. And she's like, Leah has no idea what's happening around her. Her head's in a book, her head's in a cloud. And one day I just was like, Mom. I do know what I'm doing. I was like, I do, yeah. I, I write stories, so I have to be in the present. I'm like, when you think I'm sitting here spacing off, I'm actually paying attention. I'm listening. I'm watching how things are made, you know? So, I mean, if you your characters have weapons, well, we have weapons in real life. And um, one of the, you know, there's some things that you got to keep in mind that people are experts about in reality, mm -hmm. that if they read something that goes against their expertise in your book... It's they'll call gonna, you out. yeah, they'll call you out because it's gonna take them out of the reality of your book, even though it's a fantasy. You yeah. know, you get somebody that knows about how how uh, weather systems form and wind patterns and all that, and then you have a character that's standing on a mountain and the wind is blowing the wrong way during a certain time of day. Your person that's really into weather is gonna be like, Psh, done with this. <laughs> it's true. There's only so much you can do. There's that's mm -hmm. actually a, there's a very large people number of people that are very very into map making cartography. Yeah. And they will look at like they will shred they tear will, you to shreds for your mountain ranges. Right. The forest <laughs> and the desert need to be and the forest needs to be on this side of the mountain range and the desert needs to be on that side of the mountain range because the wind is blowing off of the side of the ocean and causing and you know, the moisture. And, yep. Yeah, people will so uneducated. People will <laughs> rip you apart. You, you even have, have a PhD in no, Apparently actually, so. you don't. No, you need to luckily, just make that you know a little bit of everything. Yeah, luckily, one, two, everyone else knows a little bit of everything, so you can rely on anybody else's knowledge. And people right. love sharing their knowledge with you. Oh yeah. So when I was when I was writing my book, I was talking to people who had knowledge in economics, in weather patterns, in folklore. You know, I went out of my way and just Ooh, talked to a whole bunch a, of people about your everything. book has like a great like legit folklore. I didn't think about it before this point, but like. Like the Vashi, like they, they, they feel very real, their culture, if that makes sense. Is that probably what you'd say the most proud, realistic element you have in your I'll say that about book. book. What? <laughs> the I, I, no, well, not just the Vashi, uh, but like... Folklore in general is really good. Yeah. I, like, I did a lot of work on folklore and studying how it relates to um, anthropology. Yeah. Actually. So like Grandpa Tolkien... Um, bless his heart, may he rest in peace. Um, he's he's basically got two types of elves ish, mm -hmm. you know, the fancy elves and the elves who drink. Yeah. Uh, and uh, like in your book, you've got like you've got elves as well and half elves and whatever, and like they're like all over the socioeconomic spectrum and cultural spectrum. Well, like, that's it's based in a reality where this place has existed for so long and elves and humans have existed together for so long that they've blended. They've blended. Like you've got yeah. the you've got the ghetto elves and you've got the like super fancy elves mm -hmm. and then you've got like the middle class guys. Middle class elves. I have elves in it like in my second book, I have elves that don't even speak elvish. They don't. That's really cool. I love that concept. Cuz I never learned it. I love that concept. Yeah. And it, it kind of takes it takes the standard that we know about elves, and it turns it on its head a little bit. It's not, not all just like... And I did that know. because it felt more realistic to me. It like felt that. more like it would be something that existed in reality, because how can you have these two completely separate species and have them, you know, never actually blend their society at any point? Especially if they're biologically compatible. Exactly. <laughs> and humans humans want to just, 
you know, jump in bed with everything. <laughs> I mean, Captain Kirk syndrome, right? So <laughs> there's no yes. way that wouldn't eventually happen as far as I'm concerned. So you've got half elves, half humans. And I'm, oh, I'm three quarters wood elf. And they're all like proud of their, of their uh, heritage. And, yeah, and or them. not so proud of it. I'm one 64th elf. My main character is, you know, her dad is half elf, her mom's human, and mm. she feels she's basically considered a mutt. And she's constantly getting down on herself about it, how, well, I'm not as pretty as my dad is, but, you know, I'm short like my mom. I'm not as pretty as my dad. I love that. Pretty, pretty dad. Well, how how about you? What's what's kind of like the... Um, So I actually was thinking about a couple of things. Um, Genetics is one. Um, Animals is another one. Like, I have a lot... no, No animals in my world are, like, what we have here on Earth, that they're very similar. Oh, and cool. they were not harmed in this presentation, right? They, they were not harmed in this presentation. <laughs> um, but I think, like, the biggest one is, like, uh, like mental illness. Um, like, I've got one character with, like, severe depression, another person who's not quite schizophrenia, but it kind of looks that way in some ways with, like, seeing, like, a version, of, a projection of himself from his mind and uh, making sure I get, like, those... Hmm. Um, I know which one you're talking about. You know exactly who yes. I'm talking about. You've uh-huh. read that part. Yes. Um, making sure I get those, like, accurate, um, like, so that I'm not, like, reinforcing stereotypes. That's, like, a huge pet peeve of mine as a mental health professional when people <laughs> villainize mental illness and it's like, well, no, people with multiple personalities, they aren't going out and killing things. Most of the time, they're dissociating as only, like, half a second and they switch back to other personality. It's so subtle you don't even realize it happened. Or... Well, at least other people. But. Roses are red, violets are blue. I'm a schizophrenic, and so am I. Pretty much. <laughs> Actually, no, that, 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 wouldn't, that wouldn't be schizophrenic. That'd be that. Uh, exactly. My, disorder, my, my wife, who knows a lot is. about mental illness, yeah. um, she always gets really mad when I, when I tell that joke. Um, I, I've actually done a lot of lot of research into psychology and mental illness, too, and that's part of the reason I keep telling it. Um, but um, that's awesome that because you have a legit professional background in... In, in mental health and so how uh, uh, well I lost my train of thought luckily in editing I can cut my rambling out how does that how does your background in mental mental health translate itself into your book do you use it really commonly with your characters in a realistic all way all the time in a realistic yeah. way like even if it's just like like one character is just like mildly like has mild anxiety so like every now and then like that comes up where she's like oh, no, like, what's this person thinking? I probably shouldn't say anything because it's going to come out wrong. And she criticized everything, like, that she says. Um, but then, like, there's a lot. And it's not just, like, mental illness because the person's upbringing um, affects it as well as, like, their environment. And they just, I don't know, their own, like, cultural beliefs and everything. So all of that's getting impacted as well um, into the, these people's upbringing. Because, like, when we're talking about, like, if you threw your character into, like, a battle, like, what would they do? I was like, well... Kira would probably go in and be like, okay, I'm going to fight people, but I'm not going to kill anybody. Celeste is going to sit there and freeze and be like, I don't know what to do. And then Mike is going to blaze in their guns blazing and just kill whoever he feels like because that's kind of like what their backgrounds have been. Um, like, Jeremy, you've kind of read some of my books. Like, Kira, she comes from an abusive family. Her dad killed her mom. He left her all beat up and stuff. And um, Oh, that's who did that. Yeah. yeah. Spoiler yes. alert. Sorry, spoiler alert. I haven't alert. got that it's far yet. It's the first paragraph of the story. But I did know it was her dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it gets in there. It gets in 
the, the, the spoiler. It's a huge pillar. It's not yeah. a yeah. spoiler. It's, it's introduced pretty fairly early. But oh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, she's kind of got, like, a little bit of anger issues and stuff that she addresses more strongly, but I won't go into spoilers of, like, why she feels so, like, determined to defend this country, but, like, it has a lot to do with her family's background. Um, and then you get, like, Micah, who came from, like, his mom was a drug addict, dad was out of, was out of the picture, he was raised by his brother who was in a gang, and he was in a gang himself, he has, like, no qualms against killing people, he's done it a million times. Um, so that's not a problem. Then you get Celeste, who comes in, and she's from this really rich, uppity family private school, and parents like ring a bell when she does something wrong and so <laughs> oh my gosh like a dog yeah so like so she's like PTSD so she so in a way like she's is traumatized that worse than in the gang? I know right so like that's why when she's in like that kind of situation she just freezes like she has no clue what to do because like if I I might do something wrong she's so she's listening for that bell she's listening for like for someone to tell her what to do she has a really hard time making her own decisions so I feel like my background has really helped me develop characters in that sort of way. So, so I love that. that it's, it's a realistic element coming from a fantasy setting. And that combination of both is what m marks a better book from just a standard fantasy book. I think is having a book that has a combination of the two. Yeah, like, uh, it's not, like, as big a deal that you get your, your horses and your... That horses are important, though. Your, oh, the, 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 that's true. There are some really... Oh, you also know about Because I'm a horse person, so... Yes. But, but what I'm saying is, like, yeah. if there's other elements, because, you know, you know, like we were saying earlier, you know, there's people who will rip you to shreds for not getting the mountains and plate tectonics right um, on your map... Um, if you're getting the most important things to your story, if they feel realistic, then then lots of people will let the other things slide. Well, to kind of add to this conversation is that when it especially where it comes to mental illnesses, a lot of times I'm noticing in a lot of stories and even in a lot of movies sometimes in television shows, they use mental illness as a cop out. Like, well, this person is a bad guy because they're crazy. You know, and I'm yes, like, wait a minute, but why, why is this person what crazy? What kind of crazy? Yeah, exactly. Like, there's what about kind a of crazy? There's like 5,000 different crazy? kinds of crazy. Mm -hmm. Seriously, and like... If people just lose their minds left and right. And yeah, I'm like, that doesn't actually doesn't happen. Actually happen. Like, even like with people who have like schizophrenia and dissociative identity disorder, they're mm -hmm. not going out there and destroying the world and killing people. Nope. That's going to be like a very, 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 very small percentage of... For writing books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I somehow ended up being friends with all the people in my high school growing up that had these disorders. Like I did have a friend that had multiple personalities. I had two friends that were diagnosed with schizophrenia. And you know what? Honestly, one of them didn't make it, but the other two are actually really successful in life now. Mm -hmm. One of them's a pilot. He just recently bought his first airplane, you know? And That's awesome. yeah, and the other one she she's amazing. She raises pit bulls for a living. You know, and, and trains dogs. So, I mean, these are these are people that are actually really, you know, it was it was really rough, especially in high school, because, you know, all the hormones from when you're younger. Yeah, yeah mental illness plus being but, a teenager. Yeah, and that's usually when mental illness appears is when those hormone changes are going. Yep. And, this, and, you know, even with their mental illnesses, they're just incredible and strong people, and there's no bad guy about them, you know? Right. So, well, you can, you can turn that around completely. You can take a mental illness and apply it to a good guy and almost put it in a way that emphasizes their character. Mm -hmm. For example, you take a character who has a multiple personality disorder. Mm -hmm. So in battle, 
maybe that one personality that comes out where he's very aggressive and he's very gung-ho and willing to, to do what it takes and he's very almost to the violent nature but in a good way. He's not like you know some monster or some horrible person. And then when he's not in a battle or any sort of stressful situation, cause it's not technically just a battle, it's just stressful situations that around you know bring out this 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 personality. He's very calm, relaxed, and a comedian, which is the opposite of the person of who well, he is when he's in a stressful situation. This actually sounds like it'd be a really cool character to write. Right. Yeah. And have it this be a be. really strong character, and you know sure. that this character has multiple personalities, but you just like their friends just respect that he, that there's like three per people in this one there's, box. Yeah. And there's that's a, just there's a character is. in my third book, this woman character that uh, or my main group of friends me, she's you know she's got superpowers. She's a star child, I know. And Salt kind of falls in love with her a little bit, but she has oh. a little personality disorder. She's very <laughs> aggressive and angry and kind of stressful when she's in a stressful situation or when it's a fighting situation. Mm -hmm. And when she's not, she's very mellow, laid back, and kind of a jokester. And she's kind of like a, a beer-chugging, you know, foodie. That's just very... <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool. So, so she, she does have a mental disorder, but I think that adds to her character even more and makes it even more makes you love Salt as a, as a character even more because he's mm -hmm. so patient with her as a character for having that, and you know, and he works with her with that kind of a thing. So, uh, so. moving forward, we're going to have... Yeah, yeah, yeah go forward. What about you? Um, What's a realistic element yeah. of stuff you write? I obsess with cult cultures. Mm -hmm. um, cool, okay. My main story takes place in a valley that has a lot of immigration, effectively. And oh, that's good. That's cool. It's a real big mush of culture. Which I really enjoy writing. That's that, awesome. That is amazing. Immigration, that is something that people don't really think about a lot in, yeah. in fantasy. That nobody ever, nobody ever migrates fantasy. from different countries. And <laughs> no, I think that's such an amazing element to add. So how did you implement immigration into your story in a realistic, fantastical way? Um, there's effectively a mafia. There's... Cultural clashes, in a sense, Cultural right? clashes. There's lots of... There's probably several mafias, right? Really... There's one main one. Okay, one main one. Okay. <laughs> there's, there are groups, sure, but there's the mafia and <laughs> a lot of huge political unrest and racism and half-breeds are particularly unacceptable and there's magic systems from so certain cultures aren't acceptable. That's really interesting. Yeah. That would, that would, that's totally a realistic thing that I, I could see actually happening if there was a world where there was multiple cultures clashing, multiple magic systems, religious beliefs, mm -hmm. ways of going about to perform magic. Well, we've been kind of having, uh, in the United States of America, we've been, ever since its inception, we've basically been having a culture war with ourselves about mm -hmm. are we the melting pot or are we the land of the great white people? And um, by the way, we're a melting pot. I think um, we're a salad bowl, but that's a different that's a different conversation. It's a different fruit salad. <laughs> a fruit salad. <laughs> I don't think it's a salad. But what I'm trying to say is, um, in, in in that vein, um, we have some people who are very much like, yes, we are the melting pot. We take we take everything from every culture, and we blend, and it's great. And then you have some people who are just like, you know, those darn Mexicans. Who take the jobs that I don't want and <laughs> seriously yeah. racist people make me I think there's I but, think but, separate into three groups actually so you have people who are culturally accepted uh, accept, accepting of everyone 
people who are culturally accepting of everyone, but they just don't make a big deal about it or talk about it. And they're usually categorized as in the racist category because they're not making a big deal. Because they don't it. say anything. Because they don't say anything. They're just like, Four it's always against. been, and that's how it is. Why do I need to make a big deal about it? It's just how it is. Uh -huh. and then there, I think there is a portion, but I think they are, they're a, it's a very small portion of people that are they're just racist. Yeah. Right. But I, I think they're bo both sides are, are really loud. The, the side yeah. that's oh, yeah. very loud about, we need cultural difference. And I'm like, Middle ground people, which is the majority of people, saying we already have cultural difference. We've had it since its inception. We don't need to make a big deal about this anymore. We can yeah. improve upon it, but we don't need to scream about it and throw in people's faces. Well, That's I think about like talking about racism. Like once upon a time, um, talking like specifically like New York East Coast, um, the Irish were viewed as racially inferior. Yes. Those yeah. Dang Brits. They were so <laughs> racist. Um, <laughs> the Victorian Brits, man. Like most of our societal hangups come from them. Anyway, what I'm <laughs> like, you know, like it's the like the Irish, and then later it's the you know the Chinese. Like in California, they have, and then you know currently it's. Uh, and it's but, the other way around in other places too. I know places that treat white Christian males like absolute garbage. They're an absolute subculture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then um, and so either way, you in when you have a melting pot culture, you're gonna have. All of these attitudes. Right, you're going to have you're going to have the full spectrum range, and that's that's hard to implement. How do you implement that in your book? I do not have a short answer. <laughs> <laughs> I switch perspectives a lot. Yeah, well, that's a great answer. answer. Yeah, you do it so, perspective. That's perfect. You switch perspectives, and and how does that help bring this across? Um, like, what do the different perspectives bring to this understanding of this multiculture? It's okay, I can cut the silence, you can think for a second. It's I don't know how to explain. <laughs> like, um, they show opinions? I, like, I see it yeah. in different ways. Uh, yeah. Um, my main villain has mixed blood, and it manifests in his pale eyes. So his eyes are white. Um, That's and cool. he becomes the brunt of a lot of racism because he's got pale folk blood in him which is a race that's no longer on the earth. Yeah. Um, that's kind of cool. Were they all, like, genocided or something? They were basically angels. Cool. Um, they were the Aryan race. <laughs> uh, they got wiped out. <laughs> so tell me how you feel about racism. <laughs> I, I also like the concept. I don't know That's if you this in, in your book. It sounds like you, you might, maybe. But a lot of times, breeding between cultures and races kind of causes extinction of certain types of genetics. For example, blue eyes, or like eventually all blue eyes will disappear, or everybody will become blonde. Or, what are those or, like, for example, uh, like? Something like that. Sorry, you go ahead, go ahead and then I'll tell my. I think you made um, his point. <laughs> um, what I was going to say was, like in Japan, you have the oh shoot, what are they called? The Ainu? Ainu? Ainu. Ainu. Yeah, they're these. They they're native to Japan. Mm -hmm. They're like basically Caucasians. They're like very pale, light skin, um, like brown to light hair, and like nobody quite knows like where they came from, but they're basically just about disappeared. I think there's like. Two pure 
Yeah, like they've all been shoved into Hokkaido area. And yeah, and like, the and, like and they're and the over time they've mixed with the yeah. Japanese to the point that you know they're basically extinct. Oh, um, but that's really interesting. but yeah, yeah, I like, like and like uh, archaeologists or, or whatever the word I'm looking for is um, have been trying to figure out for forever like where they came from. I love I love that concept with. Uh, um, with race in the aspect of like they kind of were bred out of existence in a sense. Um, if there's only so many of them mixing with a much bigger group, then over time those traits are gonna disappear. For, well, for example, in your world, so you're talking about how there's the Captain Kirk syndrome with the, with the humans that are sleeping. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> I can really see, you know, maybe a, a few thousand years in the future, there's not really elves left. There's People that are just a lot more beautiful or have a few special physical and traits. They live a little bit longer. And they live a little bit longer, but they're not. There's not really any elves per se that are left. Yeah, not really. And I've already kind of incorporated something like that that already happened in the past with my magic users. Mm-hmm. You know, like I talk about at one point how um, glyph magic is a dead magic now, but that's because the glyph mages were bred out of existence. existence. Yeah, that's really cool. That's a cool concept. <clears throat> because I I think it's. I think it happens in real life. I mean, look at how many languages don't exist anymore. Look how many languages are dying because it's literally based, basically being bred out. Mm-hmm. By the Avengers movies. Is that what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> well, what I really mean is like Western entertainment. Well, um, I, have, I have friends, for instance, that, um, that are full-blooded Mexican. Both parents are Mexican. But my friends don't speak any Spanish at all. But their parents do. You know, so it's things kind of like that, that it's not always just bred, bred out so much as left behind when one society integrates with another. Well, that's a very interesting concept. And I like what you said, because so I was born in Brazil and for, I'd say, quite a few decades now, Brazilians have been trying to incorporate the American culture heavily, especially mostly through the form of entertainment. But it's bled into a lot of other things Mm -hmm. in Brazil where, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago, you could go Brazil and this is a very distinctive Brazilian culture. But as the years go by, it starts slowly phasing to be a little bit more of an Americanized culture with what they eat, how they eat, uh, the way they dress, the work schedule of the day. It is. But it's not only in Brazil. It happens in a lot of other places too. It becomes more... Americanized, like the Japanese, yeah. and like like everybody wears like Western style suits if you're in business. Well, you know, I was about to say something like that because I spent a month in Japan just for fun several years ago, and one of the things that I noticed that the younger generation were very Americanized. The older generation, I still saw businessmen in kimono. That's awesome. They That's ride right. the but bus, but it's slowly phasing out. And it was amazing. Like when, and it was in, what it was interesting is the the level of of kind of. You only saw it in body language, really, but the younger generation had this odd level of respect for the older generation that still dressed in kimono. Like, they would actually get a little more space around them where they sat on a bus, you know what I mean? And it was just little differences like that that I noticed that I thought were just fascinating while I was there. Because it's not like necessarily a malicious rejection of culture, it's just kind of... It's a natural Mm -hmm. shift in the way... And I think that that happens, if you look throughout history, and I I do a lot more history-related realism in my mm-hmm. story um, for example the when pilgrims settled into the Americas the shift from I know we there's a lot of killing off of the native Indians many tribes but the, the, the tribes that did live and remain they were integrated into our society to a point where a lot 
if not most of the, the Indian culture has disappeared or been lost entirely. And there's mm -hmm. a few individual people out there that are fighting really, really, really hard to maintain that unique Native American culture from their tribe or their people and trying to cause you know their, their, the future generations to remember that and follow by those rules so that doesn't completely die out. But throughout the years, you notice that less and less of the future generations really care to hold that and they, mm -hmm. want, they get more and more Americanized. Um, and it's not essentially, actually not, I don't even want to use the word Americanized because America, since it is a melting point of a million different cultures, it's not really an Americanized culture. It's all the cultures are blending and kind of forming an average. An average. It's like, it's like, for example, each culture is a singular color. And if you mix all the colors together, it kind of creates a brown. No yeah. matter how many colors, different colors you mix, eventually all becomes brown. Kind of brown. <laughs> so, so I think, I think it's going to have to get to a point where all the cultures form into one super culture. That's just a singular blanket culture. Mm -hmm. And then we'll be ready to meet the aliens. I'm talking about this happening. Either that or we all have to sh yes. kill each other off because that it doesn't blend mm -hmm. properly or something like that. Um, so now, your turn, Raphael. What do you do in your literature to be... History um, and lore. History. Oh, history you literally and lore. just... Oh, yeah, I was going to say, he just said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, he just carried into his own. Beginning of every <laughs> chapter, there's a segment, historical segment, or just a segment that talks about something random. Like, oh, in this culture, they, they do this. This is how they kill their criminals. Or mm -hmm. back in this day and age... Um, there's this one dude did this one thing. Yeah, there's a lot of historical aspects. I have a, a series of timelines that have probably thousands of, of events with dates, location, who did what, what took place, um, which books reference this event. Because okay, Damelo, give it to me. Oh, it's 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 incredible. And there's so there's <laughs> there's an entire line that's literally speculative deity theology. That's all about religious history, speculative. What really happened, um, whether there were gods or not. There was, there's another that's specifically about the various races that have grown up in this world that have died off, and then the next races and species come along. All the events that took place, all the wars, everything. Over like hundreds of thousands of years? Billions. 80 billion years. It's, it's ridiculous. Like the, the, the timeline, and it's multiple timelines staggered based on you know, the dates and the years, and some, some people come back, so there's gaps within the timelines, other timelines completely die out because the species or the theology is no longer practiced. And all this forms a massive mashup timeline that comes from the beginning of, of this, what we have recorded to the modern present time. This world wasn't born yesterday. And no, this when world I read, was, your, read your book, I definitely feel that. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many cultures that have been and, been and died off in this place. You know, there's artifacts and ruins of, of people that they're like, we don't have any idea. We, we, we only have historical records that go back to like three or four previous races. So about, you know, 800,000 years ago, maybe a million years ago. But this, these ruins are like six million years old. So we have no idea what race used to live here and what the heck this even means or, or what it is. We just know it's here. It's always been this way. And so, leave lots of cool artifacts for people to pick up and use them without having to explain. Right, right. <laughs> in in, in, in a good way. Magic is almost like like a fuel source, like like oil, and all of it's already been mined out. Basically, all the magic has been used up. So only magic you can use comes from artifacts that have already had been imbued with magical properties. So you can't really control the magic; it's already imbued into something. So it already has a specific purpose. Yeah. So hmm. um, you make so. a magic farm, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, when I read your books, um, they fe it feels like, like you could dig in the ground and you would find like an bones ancient ruin and bones and 
Because some city. You know, you know, yeah. like like talking about like paleontology or whatever. Like, oh, hey, look at this layer. We've got the mammoths, and at this layer, we've got the uh, the mastodons, and at this again, oh, look, here's the layer of like meteor dust from when the dinosaurs died. And mm-hmm. uh, well, see, uh, okay, so Tolkien, he he dabbled in it a little bit. He had history, and you could tell there was a lot of history to his world. Oh yeah. And he, you get a lot of that, especially in the Silmarillion. But in the main series, you you get it in the form of oh, there's this ancient ruin here, or this is so they kind of he kind of touches on it, but he's definitely focused on the main plot. Yeah, I try to do that, but try to integrate the history even more thickly into the plot itself. Um, so because you like, I see this whole world in like sepia tones. You know what I mean? <laughs> 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 I can see that. Like, like it's just like like. A, like your like your cool book project, like aged parchment, like every piece of paper in this place is gonna feel old, right. and it's just it's, you you hit that that feeling that sensation just. Uh, I love the concept of having so much in a story that you you're never gonna get all of it. You always there's always something more to it. There's always little Easter eggs in every single page right? because it it makes the story feel so much more real, and you can lose yourself in a story a lot more when, when you have that, that much depth and that many layers. So that's that's my attempt at realism, I guess. What, what about you? What's what's Thomas's oh, realistic see. element that he adds to fantasy? What isn't? It's <laughs> <laughs> a better question. Um, so I have... I mean, it's got to be your magic system, man. It's got to be your magic system. Probably, probably, or what... <laughs> uh, if we're gonna have to pick one, which we'll pick one to start yeah, pick with, one, pick one. Um, it would probably be my magic system. I'm kind of a, I'm a physics like, I won't say nut. I'm a physics psychopath. Um, <laughs> I, it's just a mental health disorder. It's when, okay. when I was <laughs> when I was working on the world building for the current book that I'm writing, I started. I did like a two month study, and I started with a deep dive into quantum mechanics. And quantum field theory, and went all the way up to um, like universe, multiverse, whatever, multiple theory. dimensions, uh-huh. things of that nature. Okay, that's yeah. I, 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 including biology and everything. I basically consumed all of that. I'm like a sponge. So I think having a epic fantasy book that goes in depth to explain the crazy fantastical elements in a scientific form is an amazing concept. I don't think really any fantasy author does that because it is a massive task to undertake and it's very overwhelming. It's See, scary. For for example... <laughs> so like, it's awesome that you're doing that. Yeah, thank you. For example, like if you want to um, make a... I like this example. If you want to make a fireball, mm-hmm. do you know how like complex that really is? Like in, you know, like in like D&D, it's like a first level spell or something, right? You just right? throw it. No, yeah, you just throw it. But it's like, yeah, it's a second. Um, it's like, do you know how complicated that is? You need, you need fuel. You need kinetic energy to move that fireball. You need like something to hold that fireball together. And then you need, you know, something to get the chain reaction going. And it's like, like if you're making... Fifth level? Fifth okay. level. Okay, okay. So it's a bit more complicated. But, but the thing is, like, with my magic system, and this is actually one of the limitations of it, like, I basically have, like, symbols and things like that for doing almost anything, which makes it seem limitless. But first off, it costs energy. And second off, if you want to summon a horse out of existence, that's, like, thousands of miles of notation. Like, down to the atomic level, you have to... 
write out, and you can use a little multiplication, like, okay, here's like a skin cell, like let's times that by a thousand. But like, if, if you had to write down with math the biology of a horse, how complicated would that be? I would fail at your magic system. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot, I think there's a portion of readers, maybe a lot, maybe a few, that would feel that that's too much or they'd be overwhelmed by it. They want something more like Aragon where there's and that's some fine. explanation and that's fine. But I know for a fact that there's some diehard fantasy readers Brandon Sanderson fans that would <laughs> would be like, Sanderson yes, more. No, he doesn't. Now. I'm going to out Sanderson Sanderson. <laughs> I love, I love <laughs> So like... Uh, but like things like, and you gotta put charts like scientific charts all throughout your book, dude. You gotta, oh yeah, you oh yeah, oh yeah. It's gonna be there. Um, but I'll, things I'll like, like a college science book. Like so, what's gonna be more common is like I'm going to expend this magic energy I have for just kinetic energy to move something, mm-hmm. and you can't just say something. You have to specify what you're moving. Mm-hmm. So like you're either specifying I'm moving the quarks that make up make you up, or I'm moving the electrons around those quarks and those atoms, and like you can't just telekinesis something um so you have to figure out how the energy reacts and counter reacts yeah which is why i'm like diving into some studies of like like strange matter and like weird things like like not just that but like like potentially inside like super massive like uh what are they called not platinum stars you know they're the shiny white ones Anyway, um, you can have strange quarks get slammed together so hard they make something called strange matter. This is hypothetical. And this strange matter, if it touches something else, it's like infectious. It turns that into strange matter. And like it could just like just spread and just turn it into this super invincible, weird matter but it, like can like, i be touched by this i'm gonna become super invisible. yeah and you know what you would be, i'm already weird I but guess be what you would be a like blob we're all of strange, strange matter, matter. So. that's yeah, all you would be that'd be awesome no no you're, you're dead oh. you're just a blob of <laughs> you know, yeah, when you get remade i'll be like this godly strange being I'm, it's like imagine a god who's like completely crazy and weird he's like squatting in the corner and saying nonsensical words and like he's squatting or like for example like I've got um, different worlds and they're connected by portals or whatever but I've done so much studying the fashion and light travel that you can't do it unless you cheat and the thing is like in my book they figure out fashion and light travel but it has to be through the magic I would love to cannot. see words written within words as a way to cheat you kind of like uh, inception your spells talking about like quotation marks or, or parentheses. I'm talking about you have a word that's made up of words, or like a letter that's made up of a bunch of words. So you can kind of create a sentence, and each like of, each letter. So like writing within writing. So you have a a, a letter like the word letter N, mm-hmm. but the letter N is made up of a bunch <laughs> of words already. So you already have some pre-imbued. <laughs> you have pre-imbued elements. So kind of like the 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 border on the uh, the Santa Claus card. That he picks for example, up. for example, you're writing the word. Uh, in, in the movie, the Santa Claus, in the second one, so like um, the card he picks up says like, "Hey, you're Santa Claus and stuff." And then in the second one, they're like, "Oh, hey, we got to look at this black border." And the black border is more legal notation that says, "Oh, by the way, like after being Santa Claus for three years, you got to get a Mrs. Claus." Think that, but instead, it's not the border; it's actually. The letters yeah, themselves. yeah, it's not like a, a, a rectangle of words. It's like the actual lines of. You know, so, for example, you take the word, so you're going to use the word time to, to affect time, right? But 
Affecting time is a very complex subject. So the letter T for the word time has a whole bunch of words already written that form the letter T. Yeah. And that's a subset element to this in, power. In a way, you'd essentially have to do that. To like, cheat. Well, it seems to me that... That's just as much work. Words yeah. in general basically... Pre-created. Yeah, words in general already kind of have that. Because if you think about it, the word time has an explanation. We just use the word to describe uh, when it comes to the fundamental laws of physics. The word time has no, no meaning whatsoever. Meaning. It's so you put you it's put me smacking my lips together. Yeah. So you put the meaning. You write the meaning out in a way that forms the letters, so that the meaning is imbued. It's complex. Gallifrey. Yeah. My, my brain kind of hurts now. <laughs> <laughs> but we're Doctor Who fans. That's why. That's why th people will do things like. Oh, by the way, I'm going to use my ability to make the electrons from the ground and the electrons in your arm go in a circuit, so you get electrocuted. Because that's literally all that happens with electrical wires: is the electrons in the metal are just getting. Communicate spells that allow allow these magicians. It makes it easier for the magicians to create more spells. So because it's already such a But here's the system. thing, um, talking about the limits they have, like when you're writing out these symbols, they have a time limit about of before, of how long they can be written out before you can invest magic into it. The, it's another ability to be able to write out permanent symbols. Mm -hmm. Or to be able to just not use symbols at all and just think with your head. Um, and just think about the concepts. Like that's an ability, but they don't have it. That's almost like a godly that, ability. That would be a... Like basically, if you had all the powers that I've like noted out, you you're you're you a are the god. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, that's my biggest one. Well, I think we've gone around the room and talked about. And I think yeah, and we're, I think we're we're way past our time. We're way past time. Have you read Go to Lesherbach? No, I haven't. You'll enjoy reading that one. I should. All right, so that was talking about different ways that we try to make realism or implement it. Books realistic. In a fantasy story. Jeremy, you look like you're ready to go home and take a nap. That could be. Or play some basketball. Or find a dead cat. <laughs> this has been the four seasons of epic fantasy.